0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net and Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, Please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P O W E L L M U S I C.net. And now, on with the interview. So here we are, Scott right. Belk, uh, the Lipslur King. As it were, you know, sarcastic lips are... yeah. Lips well, <laughs> like yeah. Um, I mean, you're you're known for way more than that. I mean, but that certainly has contributed to your uh, uh, your legacy My as a wait. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, so if a lot of people don't know who you are, you are here at Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have you been here?
1: Uh, I just finished my ninth year, actually, so going into my tenth year as the director of the jazz program, and I also have some other administrative uh, mm-hmm. duties that I do here.
0: So on the non-administrative side, mm-hmm. what, uh, what are you involved with here?
1: Well, I, I direct the jazz orchestra.
0: Um, that's the top uh,
1: jazz ensemble in the uh, conservatory. I also teach uh, the... Um, right now, I'm mainly working with a graduate jazz trumpet majors mm-hmm. and I also do a uh, what's called jazz seminar which is for the entire department we do a lot of improvisational types of uh, sessions uh, and uh, we meet we do that once a week in the department and I, I kind of run that
0: mm-hmm. so uh, What size studio applied
1: Well the, the jazz trumpet studio here is about 10 students mmm
0: and that's I, all, like That's said, pretty yeah. good, especially if they're graduate level, right? I mean,
1: that's well. We have right now we have two graduates, and the rest are undergraduate. I also do the the jazz uh, trumpet studio class every
0: every Monday night, so mm-hmm.
1: that's something I get to do. I team teach with John Zappa, who is uh, another professional here in town and mm-hmm. a wonderful teacher, mm-hmm. and he helps uh, uh, coordinate the studio.
0: Mm-hmm. Nine years you've been here. Mm-hmm. You, you enjoy it here.
1: Love it, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, and it's, not you know and not yeah. to
0: make you question your your job choice or you know somebody's going to listen and think he's been here too long. Oh, well. It's time to move on. But no, this <laughs> is my alma
1: mater. So this oh, is my wife and I both went to school here, and this is sort of the this is the dream gig for me anyway, and and I, you know, this is uh, uh, where I enjoy being and and uh, have no intention of.
0: So you did your bachelor's or master's or I did my doctorate here. Doctorate, yeah. So um, and. Uh, well, who did you study with while you were here?
1: Well, the guy you're going to talk to uh, later this afternoon, oh, no <laughs> Alan Sieber. I was in Alan's studio, yeah. and um, uh, that was where I did uh, all of my because of my my Dmas in classical trumpet, mm-hmm. as is my
0: masters. Mm-hmm. I always find it interesting, you know, when we classify. And of course, we know mm-hmm. the answer to this is we all blow through the little end, and the sound comes out the big end. It's just a matter of our sound concept, right? That. Sure. Huh. Classical or, or jazz is what comes out, hopefully. I mean, that's a, an oversimplification, but, you know.
1: Well, you said you're going to talk to Sergei. He was here when I was a student and did a master class. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said is, is that uh, he was referring to uh, musical preparation, but he said that uh, he was referring uh, in that conversation to style, which he said is a technique. That was his quote, style is a technique. So if you're playing a style of music or genre, you're learning the technique that's involved with that style, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's practiced, and it's not something that necessarily happens intuitively. It has mm-hmm. to be studied, or mm-hmm. for a lot of us anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. So speaking of style, I mean, I've known you exclusively as a jazz player, mm-hmm. but you said you came into CCM as a, as a classical player. Sure, yeah. What was your focus? What was your intent uh, at that point, as, as far as a trumpet player? What were you looking to do?
1: Well, I mean, when you're looking at careers in teaching, um, that was a, my focus. Was I knew I wanted to teach at the university level, and um, so uh, when I when I started my undergraduate, I was just you know looking at a, which was at the University of Tennessee. I, uh, was I that was with a, Kathy Leach? Yes, it was with Kathy. You know, so, um, and, uh, and Jerry Coker was the jazz teacher there, mm-hmm. and so my undergraduate degree was in trumpet with a, uh, what they called a concentration in studio music and jazz. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a performance degree, but um, you know, as I started to look at what the prospects were for teaching, uh, I realized that every, every school that has a you know, music program probably has a trumpet teacher but may or may not have a jazz teacher or a mm-hmm. jazz uh, trumpet teacher for that matter. So mm-hmm. it seemed like it would be, um, from a career standpoint, make more sense to uh, be um, a little bit more marketable. With oh, that's a great the combination, yeah. sure. Yeah. So my studies were in, uh, in classical, but most of my professional work was either mm-hmm. in uh, commercial or lead or, or mm-hmm. jazz playing. Mm-hmm.
0: How much did you uh, go? Bachelor's, master's, doctorate? I mean, did you go straight through, or did you have oh, some time no, no, in between?
1: No, no. I, uh, I took probably three years in between my undergraduate and my master's, and I went uh, and I did cruise ships and a lot of freelance <laughs> work. No oh kidding. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I spent a year on ships, and then I went from there and did the Glenn Miller Orchestra for a year, and then I went to Denton, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to University of North Texas to do a, a, my master's.
0: And who was teaching out there at the time?
1: I was taking uh, with uh, Keith Johnson mm-hmm. in, in his studio. Mm-hmm. So
0: Now, I've, I've not, uh, I don't know anything about him other than his books, mm-hmm. which are terrific. And that little book, uh, The Brass Pedagogy, right. is fantastic. Right.
1: And a uh, student of, of Chickowitz mm-hmm. and coming out of that, um, and uh, that sort of... Uh, Area in terms of pedagogy, mm-hmm. uh, great guy, great communicator. Obviously, his book was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, and it was one of the things I was most excited about: was <laughs> getting to go study with the author of mm-hmm. the Art of Trumpet Playing. Mm-hmm. Back in the in the in the eighties, there weren't a lot of resources for uh, understanding brass uh, playing or interpretation or any of that. Mm-hmm. And, that and his was the first, mm-hmm. um, and it was at the time it was, uh, from what I could tell,
0: one of the definitive. You know, books out there about. So, um, University of North Texas obviously great trumpet program and mm-hmm. jazz as right. well. Uh, but you mentioned mentioned that Keith was a Chickowitz mm-hmm. uh, student, but I know Kathy had uh, studied with him as well. Was that a draw to go from one Chickowitz student, or was that just coincidence?
1: It was sort of worked out that way. You know, I went to Tennessee mainly because my. Um, uh, my stepmother and father lived in Knoxville at the time, and she was a dean at one of the other colleges at University of Tennessee. So I went there uh, as a, uh, I transferred there from uh, West Virginia University. I grew up mm-hmm. in Morgantown. And I actually studied with another Chickowitz student <laughs> there, which was John Winkler. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, he was coming right out of uh, you know, that school as well. So I did have a lot of exposure to that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that approach yeah, early on. And, um, but it wasn't, I I didn't necessarily go to the school for the teacher. I Mm tended to go to the school for, to go to the school. Right. You know, and um, uh, I was, I went to North Texas to go be at North Texas. Mm -hmm. And it was great uh, that Keith was teaching there, but I would have gone to North Texas. Sure. You know, that was my, in my career Mm -hmm. plan. I'd met a lot of really uh, great players from North Texas. And I Mm -hmm. thought, man, that looks They put them out like that. That might be a good place to go.
0: So, what kind of playing um, did you do down there? Any lead playing or jazz or everything? All all
1: jazz. I played in the in the lab band, uh, the one o'clock, for a couple of years, and I played the jazz book or one of the jazz books Mm -hmm. and our section playing. I wanted to work on my lead playing, but there were so many great lead players (laughs) down there, you know, and and so. But that was a great kind of lesson in how to get that going. Jay Saunders was there, Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't get a chance to study with him. I just got to hear a couple of his master classes, and I still remember them, Mm -hmm. so certain concepts, and we're talking 1985. Mm -hmm. Uh, not sorry,
0: 1995 for that. I was going to say you're not that old. Yeah, Yeah. well, I started
1: college in 84, so um, I am. so did I, (laughs) but
0: 17 years of college uh, haven't uh, done me much
1: good. The, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's all about the environment, or it can be, and some people were very, can be very self-motivated, and I'm that way now, but when I was younger, I wasn't. I, it helped me to be in an environment that was uh, somewhat competitive. And
0: Did you experience that at UT?
1: No, I didn't. Uh, I mean, there were great players there, but there wasn't, uh, there weren't a lot of numbers, so at a certain point, I think I was the only, I know I was the only jazz trumpet major slash, mm. you know, there, and and... Mm-hmm. Um, and so it. Uh, plus, I was very young and trying to figure things out, just in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell people that I I got really, really serious about the trumpet in 1990, um, where dedicated, get up early in the morning and start to practice. The problem is, is that I didn't graduate college until '89. So. Yeah, it it uh, it didn't quite line the up. Delayed response. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got there, but I was not a fast starter. Let's yeah, put it that way. Yeah. When it came to to the the daily discipline of yeah. playing trumpet.
0: So, uh, what about playing opportunities at uh, UT versus uh, North Texas? Oh, I guess I should say UT, but it's UNT would be the North Texas, right? Right. Yeah. yeah so UT is Tennessee. UNT.
1: Right. I mean, back in the 80s and and then in the 90s, even you could go out and you could play and professional big bands on the weekends. So I did a lot of that kind of thing, or Mm -hmm. wedding bands, uh, pop groups, uh, rock bands, blues bands, you name it. I started playing a lot of Dixieland. That's my initial Mm -hmm. initial um, uh, sort of connection with Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. My first year down in Tennessee, there was a band leader that needed a trumpet player to play in a Dixieland band that had a contract I was a subcontracted group that was subcontracted to, at King's Island. Mm-hmm. So they hired me to do that, and I started coming up here in 87, and mm-hmm. really fell in love with Cincinnati. That mm-hmm. was another thing. It's not that I'm here doing you know, the job at CCM, sure. but I've always loved the town mm-hmm. and did that for a number of years and have sort of always kind of wanted to work my way back here anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, similarly, when I was in Denton, I got a lot of calls to do... Pop things. Uh, I was doing a party band that uh, was extremely busy. We had a stretch of about five weeks where I was in school and I was working seven nights a week, literally. Mm -hmm. And that was on top of teaching, I think, 13 or 14 kids Mm -hmm. at a middle school, playing Mm -hmm. in the one o'clock, preparing a uh, master's recital in classical Mm -hmm. literature. And uh, I was like, I was in heaven. I loved Mm -hmm. it. I was just absolutely, you know. And then going out, and that, that really solidified uh, my, my reading, my sight reading. Um, when I was on the Miller Band, I had to really struggle at first to, to really learn that repertoire in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, as I wasn't a strong sight reader. Mm-hmm. And uh, that you know, first few weeks was dicey.
0: Well, let's go back to the Dixieland for a yeah. second, because a lot of times that's, you show up and they're going to have charts mm-hmm. or they're not going to have charts. What was that situation with the, the Dixieland band?
1: Well, there was in those days. I didn't know a bunch of the repertoire for for the Dixieland group, but there was a uh, a fake book out called the Dixie Players Fun Book, which was riddled with errors and <laughs> mistakes, and uh, but it had almost all the you know the the major uh, tunes that you'd play, the repertoire that you'd play on. Uh, some version of it, so I was able to look at that and use that. And they didn't, they, they, uh, good or bad, I don't know, but uh, I, it wasn't a problem for me to have a music stand um, in uh, uh, on stage, so they didn't, they didn't mind it. And so uh, that was that. Hang on a second here, all right. And uh, but um, so I learned by reading, which I, you know, if I had to do over again, I would have learned it. I would have tried to learn the repertoire by mm-hmm. uh, uh, more organic. Mm-hmm. Uh, means.
0: hmm So, after Denton, mm-hmm. where'd you, where'd you head?
1: Uh, the Air Force. I went into the Air Force Band of Flight, which is up in Dayton, mm-hmm. Ohio. Um, a couple, of, I had a friend who was a trombone player who, um, uh, called me and said, hey, we need a, uh, a trumpet player, for the, to play lead in the big band, and, uh, you know, it was, a, it was an all-around position, and they happened to be up at, uh, Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. so I drove up and did an audition. Nice. Um, they just in a hotel room, a bunch of guys sitting around in in uh, battle fatigue uniforms, listening Very to me play <laughs> festive overture and and uh, everything else. I remember that was in there, and uh, they offered me the gig right there. I was not. I, I wanted a college teaching position, but I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't even getting letters of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interest from anything that I had uh, applied to at that mm-hmm. point, so uh, they had GI Bill. Mm-hmm. So I went through basic training, went in, and did four years in in um, in the in the service. And during that time, I started doing. I uh, started a Thursday night band in Dayton, Ohio, with mm-hmm. a lot of the Air Force guys. There was, like I said, there was a core of North Texas guys in that band, plus a lot of good locals. Mm-hmm. Someone like John Harner, uh, who played. Uh, he's sort of regionally famous mm-hmm. for playing with Dan Kenton's band and mm-hmm. uh had played uh he would come down and play and and uh so uh, Carl Seavers if you mm-hmm. know Carl Carl sure. was down in that band and Nick Cooper mm-hmm. who played lead in the uh, uh was it the Navy Commodores for many years and so we got a killer killer band and we played every Thursday night it was mm-hmm. a, a reading band and, and uh, so I got a lot of band-leading chops, doing that and uh, handling the day-to-day, mm-hmm. bringing in guest artists, booking the band, uh, taking care of subs, doing all mm-hmm. the the housekeeping that goes with being a band leader, and that came in that's come in real handy. It's one of the kinds of formative experiences that helped me step into this job because mm-hmm. this job is, it, it, yeah, it's teaching. Um, it's teaching jazz, and it's teaching jazz trumpet, and it's also directing the top uh, jazz orchestra. But it's also an administrative position. So I came in as the department chair. Mm-hmm. They wanted somebody who could do those things. Mm-hmm. Most people don't like doing them, or you know, find it difficult or unpleasant. And uh, I never minded it. So um... it
0: seems to be an affinity uh, for for trumpet players specifically for the administrative, uh, or maybe not affinity, but. Uh... There's something about it because you can look at, at a lot of administrative positions and find brass players, trumpet sure. players, yeah. in that. So
1: well, you're, uh, you know, you're in Dixieland or and you're playing in a combo. You're you're playing a lead voice. You're used to doing some sort of direction in that, mm-hmm. whether it's implicit or explicit. Um, and then if you're managing your career and someone says, "Hey, you got a band for this, f- <laughs> whatever the function or mm-hmm. gig," or and you start to, that that tends to if you stick around an area long enough and get known for that it tends to have a snowball effect so um, when I was when I started that free it was a free big band we played for the for the door but when somebody left town that was doing a bunch of contracting uh, for a venue that did all you know the temptations and uh, right. all the horn band stuff uh, they asked who who should we get and they said get Belk you know he's he knows all the mm-hmm. how to, was it? it was post-Rolodex years, but I had a really good, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of contacts and, yeah. you know, so for putting things together. So yeah. slowly I became known as somebody who could just put, put a group together, you know, and, and, uh, and then that may, you transition from being a sideman to being a leader. Right. Then you have two bands working, and now you're a contractor and an agent. And then you have three bands working, and I'm playing the jazz gig, and I'm contracting out and you know, doing all the other stuff. Right. And that, uh, that got to the point where on a, on, a, on a New Year's, one New Year's, I had three bands working. And um, that could have been a viable career, uh, but I, you know, I, I didn't enjoy that part of it that sure. much. You usually had a bride or a bride's mother mad at you at some point. And, you know, <laughs> so
0: I, well, yeah, I can see where the draw uh, to be in Dayton... At Wright Pad, I mean, you're still relatively close to Cincinnati, right? So you've already kind of got this love for Cincinnati. Did you come down here a lot while you were?
1: I did as much as I could come down for. There were jam sessions in town that I used to come down for. Um, I was able to take start taking summer classes Uh, the year before I got out. I would get up super early in the morning. I would drive down here for. They had like a three week term of Mm -hmm. classes would be every day for two and a half hours. Mm So I would take my summer leave and, which was vacation for two weeks and then they would give me the mornings off for the third week. So I would come down here, sleep. if it was a late night I would sleep in my car, you know, take a nap before the classes mm-hmm. and then do like four, four or five hours of classes mm-hmm. in the mornings so I could get rid of uh, some of those prerequisites and things like that. And mm-hmm. I did that for a year and then, um, then I came down here on a graduate assistantship and uh NGI bill and I was rich.
0: So you know, let's talk about GI Bill. I was I spent time in the Air mm-hmm. Force, and my dad told me, and my my dad was career Air Force, mm-hmm. and he said, make sure you sign up for the GI Bill. And I remember, uh, I don't remember what part of basic, but where you signed the paperwork for that. And I remember yeah. some people not opting for that. Yeah. And you know what seems like I'm, I'm going to lose a hundred dollars a month. Yep. For a year, but the payoff was tremendous. And so I you know I bring that up because if anybody's listening and Wants to understand the value of the GI Bill. It's, it's, you shouldn't pass it up. Well, shouldn't yeah. even question it at, yeah. at all. I mean, it's a
1: great well, you know, the, the, the it, it's also, uh, yeah, it was fifty bucks a paycheck or a hundred dollars a month or something like that, and it turned into eighteen thousand yeah. dollars or some, something along those yeah. lines. That they just, you know, you it just went into my bank account every month while I was in school. But the, the fact is that when I came back to school to do a, you know, a graduate degree, the, um, I was worth more to the school because I was older and I was a professional and I, I came in as a graduate assistant, they knew I could take care of business. Mm-hmm. And so it made me more qualified, the service made me more qualified to be a graduate assistant. Really made me appreciate being back in school after a, an absence of about four years. And then, um, and then it supplemented my, so, so I made money just before I left the house to go to school. That was mm-hmm. not including gigs or and continuing contracting or any of that kind of stuff. So in, in, a, in a kind of in a real way, because I didn't have a family back then, that was about as rich as I ever was. <laughs> and it might be the <laughs> richest I, I ever will be. But that was um, yeah, the service. I even talked to my sons about it. Um, don't rule that out as, mm-hmm. a, as an option. And uh, um,
0: always been pleased to have done that. Always proud to have been in the mm-hmm. services. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I still stand up. You know, I've been out out 32 years, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Oh, not not quite that. I'm, doesn't matter. But Armed Services Medley, Armed yep. Forces Medley, You know, I stand still up. stand up. I mean, stand up at the parade. You know, stand up at the concert. And whether yeah. you serve four years or 40 years, you know, yeah. it's like it it's still. This is something you've done,
1: yeah.
0: and and definitely to be proud of. I'll. Let you know, my, my oldest son uh, has been in six years mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'm just as proud as I am. He's in the Army, but you know right. what, I, I don't care. He's serving his country and he's sure. doing a great job and and getting some great skills. And uh, so, yeah, service is a great route. And not everybody has to go to college right out of, out yeah. of high school, right? You know, well, we
1: see that, you know, uh, the... Uh, the world's changing. Uh, education is changing. Not everybody needs to be in college, you know, and that's not, it's not the place for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it may be uh, the time for an older version of yourself to, to go or, you know, but not uh, not right out of high school. The, the thing, there are certain pressures that students have because they, uh, if they audition and get a scholarship offer to them as a freshman, that scholarship often goes away. Uh, they won't hold it and it's more difficult to come in as a freshman mm-hmm. uh, later on to, to even if you're a better player to get mm-hmm. the same uh, kind of scholarship that you might get mm-hmm. and we just don't see that as, as mm-hmm. often so um, but the GI bill
0: can make up for that sure let's talk about some of your students sure. what, uh, tell me what uh, kind of students are drawn to the program at CCM and or maybe to you specifically or are, what kind of students are you looking for?
1: Well, um, the uh, I mean that's a that's kind of a, a big question. The there's a uh, you know as far as as the students that we recruit, we're looking for students who have already spent some time uh, learning about music and learning their instrument and are are dedicated and and have a, a track record of being. Pretty good at what they do. We don't have necessarily, you know, a lot of our kids have been in Allstate or, or um, in uh, prep, uh, you know, good prep programs. Generally speaking, or just good high school programs, but that's not a prerequisite, of course. Um, but uh, a lot of times a student will come as a, when they're in high school, and we'll take a lesson. And, you know, we'll do that for them, and, and I'll, I'll listen to a student and I'll say, hey, between now and when you audition, here are the things that we're looking for to improve, that, you know, here's what I'd like to hear different or better or uh, more focus in this area. And if a student can show a lot of uh, improvement, and and it's not difficult to do necessarily, but if that's obvious, that they can take direction, work independently and, uh, you know, the nice thing is, is that we tend to have a... Uh, and we're also looking for students who have a, a fair degree of academic success. That's the number one predictor of, of <laughs> collegiate success is, right. is academic. Specifically test scores, uh, not even G- GPA. So a, mm-hmm. a kid that has really strong test scores um, generally has uh, an advantage uh, just historically. Mm-hmm. It's not a deal breaker either way, but, you know, if, if between two students... Uh, that are vying for a scholarship or that are vying for entrance into the program, you're going to, uh, if they're otherwise equal, you're going to look at those as mm-hmm. being, de- you know, the, de- the details that are determining factors. Mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, the students that come here are uh, hopefully ones that are uh, looking for a way of uh, developing their way of uh, thinking and, and their way of approaching an artistic process that they can learn for life. Uh, for me, uh, uh, the goal is to have students who are still actively involved in music when they're 40 mm-hmm. or 50 mm-hmm. that are, uh, they find that they're still finding a, a great degree of joy and mm-hmm. interest in what they're doing when they're, when they're uh, older and they're still professionals. Um, there are different ways of making a living. They don't all, uh, <laughs> they don't all uh, necessarily include the, the music part being at least a primary income generator. Right so um, but uh, it's okay if someone comes in as a younger student that wants to just get deep into the art and we can do that as well Mm -hmm. so um, you've got
0: the undergraduate and the graduate level programs here and you know I mean I think it's easy to understand the the distinction between the those two things Uh, the kind of undergrad students a little less refined generally less mature which is not a slight it's just a fact uh, graduate students come in hopefully with a lot more focus, a lot more long-term uh, goals in front of them.
1: Right. Yeah. The uh, second music degree is something that you know that you probably have thought quite a bit about yeah. and are are really interested in doing it. Some students will show up with a in any degree as a freshman and realize it's not what the, it's not
0: for them. You know? So what's uh, what's the vibe here with your? Uh, is it a competitive atmosphere? You talked about how you were looking for that competitive. Yeah aspect at UNT. What about CCM? Does that exist here?
1: I'd like to think it's a little bit more balanced. Uh, we don't have, I mean, in, in, in a place like North Texas where you have 500 jazz majors or I don't know, it's just <laughs> something ridiculous like that. Um, if, uh, if you're not, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody's not making it to the, to the level that the director wants them to be making it, Someone else is in the, in the chair the next day. Mm-hmm. And that's in the real world to a degree. And uh, we're not in that sort of a, a situation here. We have excellent students, so our upper level uh, our, of artistry is as high as you would find at those other places mm-hmm. the, our peer institutions, the, the Big Ten schools and, and uh, the East Coast schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of competitiveness, uh, we're looking for more of a community. Uh, vibe here in terms of uh... it's a good hang it's a place where you're going to be able to follow your musical and artistic interest mm-hmm. but you're not going not, It's not going to be handed to you because there are enough people on each instrument that are really good at what they do that you're if you want to be a soloist or if you want to be in the top ensembles you do have to work mm-hmm. your way into them um... you don't just sit around and wait until you're a senior or mm-hmm. a junior or a sophomore and just you know we have one ensemble we have a lot of um, you know, so it's not a given, but everybody does have opportunities.
0: You know, I think, of course, students have a lot to do with the vibe, but uh, mm-hmm. I think the faculty has a great deal I hope so. to do with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, and I say that because, you know, there are institutions where there are some applied teachers who haven't played in public for years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at the faculty here, yourself included, uh, you guys are pretty busy on the playing side. Yeah, I, I mean, th- and I think that helps keep everything really relevant, and, and you know, somebody coming in is going to say, you know, well, what's he got to offer? Well, what's yeah. He's got current real-world experience and past real-world experience and all that.
1: Well, uh, I had a friend who said, you know, if you want to become a better teacher, um, become a better musician. Mm-hmm. And I take that part pretty seriously, so I'm trying to improve on a daily basis uh, my craft and, and the um, uh, my discipline, and um, the, um, with the faculty here, there are two things that are really going for it. Yes, we have, uh, have fantastic faculty who are you know, they're traveling all over the world with really uh, amazing uh, other artists and, and performing in, in great venues, but the, um, here we have, I think, 11, between the full-time and the part-time faculty, we have about 11 or 12 jazz faculty when we do a we, we do a jazz faculty concert every semester and all 12 of, of us are on stage and play together and that's so so it's unusual to have that degree of participation uh, participation in any faculty group and i'd say uh, that from from that standpoint how much fun we have, how how many different things. We did Art Pepper Plus 11 this year with uh, we've done Birth of the Cool, we do a lot of original writing projects, we do repertory things and when we do those the um, what we find is is that you know we get along and uh, we enjoy each other's company and there's a mutual respect in the faculty that um, I've been and we've all been places where you have faculty members that won't speak to each other for many many years uh, and that's just the beginning of what that could look like. And so we don't have that here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that helps to serve as a model for the students on how to, how to get along and how to, how to uh, function artistically, academically, professionally, and uh, with your coworkers. And, and uh, so I, from that standpoint, I believe the CCM is exceptional.
0: Mm-hmm. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. Well, and go back to the whole recruiting thing. I mean, the legacy of CCM. It's like IU. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's been known as a spectacular uh, institution musically for a long time. I mean just that legacy is going to draw people
1: I hope so. uh, The you know when I first got here I always you know when you're when you're recruiting when you're working with younger students you want to be honest with them you don't want to make you know paint any kind of picture that's not true to what they're going to find when they get to a place and so my first couple of years here I I was very careful to be you know, you know, you say oh, a student saying, well, I'm also uh, auditioning at this school or that school, and I'd say, well, you know, this is what we do well, and this is what there's other places you, you might find that this is different, you know, at a, at a school, another uh, peer institution. Um, they're known for this, and these people do these things. I don't want to name specific uh, institutions. Um, but now, any, anymore, I just say, you know, why would anybody not want to come to CCM? It's a great place. I, I'm not really. Um, yeah. It's a uh, uh, totally biased and uh, completely Homer way of looking at things. But I went to school here. Uh, I met my wife here. She was in the Horn Studio. It's a great place, and I really dig it. And, you know, why would why would anybody want to go anyplace else? That's I teach at
0: the yeah. University of Indianapolis. Yeah. I finished my bachelor's degree there. Right you know, and I see the value in a small school, I believe, Mm -hmm. and and I started at UK, big school, you know, and a lot of times, really, that can be the the big distinguishing thing is, do I belong in a big school, or do I, am I going to fare much better in a smaller environment, and so for that reason, I look at UND as, well, why wouldn't you want to come to school here? It's a you know, sure. a great op- uh, opportunity and great environment. So there's my shameless plug for Wendy in the middle of that. But-
1: well, yeah, and and it's it it would make more sense for uh you know for you there people value a student and if you know and their family is going to value different things or going to be able to value different uh, uh, or prioritize different things in their in their experience. Uh, sometimes it's the relationship with the studio instructor that's the main and only thing. Sometimes it's the Uh, relative uh, uh, prestige of the name of the institution or the network that's associated with that particular institution. Sometimes it's the student population. One of the things that was, uh, you know, at University of North Texas that was sort of known was that you learned an awful lot from the students because the level of the students there, there were so many of these, you know, uh, professional level that were coming in off the road or that were, coming back from professional teaching gigs doing advanced degrees that Mm -hmm. um a large part and that was something that neil slater said he was the head of the program he said our students do all the recruiting for us (laughs) and they do all the teaching you know and and here at a place like this we'd like to think that we i've taught at smaller schools i've taught uh, um, at private schools and at small state schools and each one of them has uh has their own advantages uh I would only encourage students to go wherever. Or I, would, I would encourage a student to go anywhere that they're going to go and try to outgrow the place. Mm-hmm. So that, oh, that's great you advice. You know, so if you if and if you can step into that place and you're not, you haven't outgrown it when you get there, it's probably okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but you need to be able to know: Am I going to outgrow this in four years, or is it going to be three years, or am I going to outgrow it in one semester? Or so you want to feel like you've got that. Um, you know, that you're ready to, you can get everything you can out
0: of that experience. Let's talk about you some more. <laughs> well, I thought you'd never <laughs> asked. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, I, I mean, this is background that, uh, I mean, and sure. some great background. And feel free yeah.
1: to edit it all out if you want. You yeah, know. I've it's, got a good five yeah, minutes yeah, so far. Yeah, all right, far, good. So <laughs> that's, that's it, you know.
0: Uh, no, okay, so you've described your, uh, well, you didn't describe some of the administrative duties, but... Uh, how in the world do you have time for playing these days
1: that's uh, no I mean you, you how do you have time for everything else playing first so I get up in the morning and I play every day and it's at the top of the list and so I get up I'm an early riser mm-hmm. I get up at five 5 5.30 or whatever and I get my time in before uh, it's uh, it's demand my before my time is demanded in, in other places sure so I, I make sure that I'm that's that's it, mm-hmm. you know. Get it in first, and uh, it's it's easy. I've got a blog, and uh, um, you know one of the one of the blog posts is you know the two words that get me out of bed every morning are oh, oh crap, you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's it's not that the bed doesn't feel good, but it's usually I I I've got a habit of doing it because mm-hmm. the habit's there, mm-hmm. uh, even if I don't feel like it, I just do it. It's just just what I do. So I get the coffee, I let the dogs out, and and I get it in. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Okay, so let's talk flexibilities. Okay. What was this? uh, Your second book has just come out. Right. Um, What was the inspiration for the first book? I mean, look, it's like you say there's already so many podcasts out there. Sure. There's already Irons, Colin, uh, by Lynn, uh, you know, probably a myriad of other flexibility books out there that I right. forget. Why in the world do we need another flexibility book?
1: Well, um, why, I, I can't say why you or anybody else needs it, right? <laughs> You know, I can say why I did. Um, it's because I was bored with the stuff that was, yeah. you know. And, and the thing is, is that a lot of times, you know, we sort of tend to do what we're told to do or we're, we teach what we're taught. And um, at a certain point, I think what I realized was, now that I'm in my 50s, and it was that I'm doing the same stuff that I've been doing for 30 years. And uh, and that's as a jazz musician and as a classical trumpeter, and uh, you ended up, I ended up playing a very, um, what I call sort of ossified or calcified routine that was, I knew I could, it would take care of me and I'd have enough chops to get through whatever gig I was playing. Mm -hmm. But I always sort of wondered why I wasn't improving in a way that I used to improve when I was a student, when I was learning all kinds of new stuff. So anyway, I thought, um, you know, I, I wasn't really necessarily thinking I'm going to write a flexibility book. That's not really where the concept came from. It wasn't in, in terms of, of uh, flexibility. I first thought about the primary concept for the, the initial book in like 1988, and I, was, wow. I had listened to... I was listening to Woody Shaw. Someone got got me, um, um, handed me a tape of Rosewood uh, cassette tape, and said, "Check this out." And and, and kind of blew my mind. Uh, I had it was he was the first trumpet player that I heard that instantly knew he was doing something way different than what everybody else was doing. And I didn't really know how to process it. I just knew there's something not just novel, but creatively different than mm-hmm. than what other people are doing. And I sort of filed that away, and I said to uh, and, and uh, Pat Harbison, um, I was kind of I would come down here. He was teaching at the conservatory, and I was a student. I would come and take some lessons with him, and I think he still remembers this. So we've talked about it, but uh, I said, "Wouldn't it be cool if somebody could take something uh, like uh, alternate fingers, fingerings, and alternate positions, and apply them in a musical way to um, to jazz improvisation?" So you have. Um, you have certain kind of chords that, uh, where say if you had a, a chord where a you know, uh, a fingering an alternate fingering can be used in a way that's functional. In other words, it's not an effect, mm-hmm. but it's it's mm-hmm. a way of creating a line that that has some more harmonic interest and. And so when you think about alternate fingerings on the trumpet, you're thinking, uh, as, at least as a jazz musician, the, like one of the most famous ones is like Lee Morgan on Sidewinder, mm-hmm. where Lee is, is playing... You know, he's, he's playing an alternate finger as an effect. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the hippest things that anybody's ever played on a jazz record. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a harmonic device. In any case, so this stuff was kind of percolating for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2012... I was sitting on my back deck, and it was the summertime, and, and we were in, you know, school was out. And I was just, I, I've always written exercises, different types of things. So I've got a whole, you know, suitcase full of, of all kinds of different things that I use for myself and for my students. And I thought, oh, well, I'll write some flexibility, some lip slur types of stuff. And so I wrote a, uh, I wrote a couple of them. I wrote one, and I, I, I use Sibelius, so I'm pretty good at it with the typesetting, and I and Facebook would only let you put up a JPEG, so I put up a, I took a screenshot of mm-hmm. one of these things and I put it up on Facebook. This is in summer, like July. I went, had to go back and look at it in 2012, and I tagged my students in it. And, you know, they didn't notice it, and nobody looked at it. And uh, two like, two people liked it, and I thought, fine, you know, I'm drinking coffee. Are you one of them?
0: Yeah, most yeah. Likely, <laughs> my burner
1: account, you know, <laughs> that I used to like my own, uh, my own posts. But in any case, I did the. Uh, I did that initial thing, and I did it for a couple of days, and then I came up with one of the ones that was in the book, and I don't remember which one, but it was... I knew it was different. I knew it was novel, and I knew it was... I liked it, so, so what I did was I, I uploaded it as a JPEG, and I put a little bit of shtick on it and some fun commentary, and I gave it a title instead of a, uh, instead of a number, and then i get a little salutation and on the Facebook post, and I tagged 50 trumpet players around the world, from Vince DiMartino, to Tony Plog mm-hmm. to um, Byron Stripling, to all, fo- all guys that I know, uh, mm-hmm. Philip McCann in, uh, in uh, the UK, whatever. And I got uh, 165 <laughs> comments on this thing, like a couple hundred likes. And I thought, oh, I've got, a, I've got a, uh, an audience.
0: Mm-hmm. And what were the comments?
1: i can't remember but they were just it was everyone thought it was hilarious you know this because because it was like you know uh i wasn't just putting up an exercise but i put a story with it and it was shtick you know greetings from Lipsler world headquarters you know the the Mm -hmm. home offices like we're uh, some business and then uh you know we were up all night playing a late night jazz gig and this came out this morning and we're (laughs) so so it kind of it kind of burst into life in that way and 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 so uh, I started having friends and people, you know, would message me and they'd say, "Hey, I I want to buy the book." And I said, "Well, you know, there's no book Your yet, yeah, you know, and it, and it, or I can't download the rest of the page." Well, I I just made it look like I would cut the, the uh, cut it off, so it looked like there was there was no rest of the page. It was just kind of halfway down, and I would cut it off, and it would look like there was more than there was. And so, and then after I did this for a while, I started posting them regularly. And uh, I, I started getting uh, friended by people all over the world and, um, you know, more so than what Facebook normally does. Mm-hmm. And it might be the second horn in the Tuscany Symphony Orchestra or somebody in, you know, on a faculty in a Spanish conservatory or, in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, things that you see naturally. But these were more coming as a result of these posts because they were coming much more um, frequently. And so then small publishers started uh, Contacting? Why are you giving this stuff away? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll publish it, you know. And so I had three or four of those, and I said, eh, "I'm not so sure, you know. I'm gonna. I think I might pu- self-publish it." Mm-hmm. And then finally, a friend of mine who, who's in the music publishing business um, and knew somebody at Hal Leonard said, "Hey, um, uh, what did he say? His his son-in-law was uh, in the one of the service bands in at Langley." Mm-hmm in uh, the Air Force Band and his son-in-law came home, he's a trumpet player and my friend's a trumpet player and my friend said hey let me show you these exercises and uh, his son-in-law said all the guys in D.C. are already playing these. No oh, kidding. So anyway <laughs> when he did that he uh, he's like I need to get you with Hal, the guys I know at Hal Leonard and then Hal Leonard ended up picking it up and I got a contract through Meredith Music which is their edu- one of their educational mm-hmm. uh, Distributors or publishers and then i got the hal leonard distribution for the first mm-hmm. book
0: so before we go any further yeah. let me ask you you've been writing these exercises you start putting them out mm-hmm. on facebook yeah. but you had mentioned that you were looking for something different something to help improve your own playing right did yeah. you notice a difference in your in your playing uh were you were you benefiting yourself oh absolutely from, from these yeah yeah
1: i mean mainly because uh, i found them interesting i was looking for something that i found interesting to play mm-hmm. i think mean, that's important you know if if you are looking at whatever you're practicing, if you don't find it interesting, it's hard to get invested in it intellectually or, or emotionally. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, what would it look like for me to, what would these have to be for me to find them interesting and, and uh, but challenging? So part of what you want to do when you're writing something like this is not just to write something and then just try to play it, but it needs to be, um, it, have enough music in it that you are uh, you find it that it makes you sound good if you mm-hmm. play it well mm-hmm. so that's part of the you know the idea it's not just an exercise but it's, they sound like little songs or little mm-hmm. grooves or little motor rhythms or things that are happening with these uh, that um, could be part of an improvisation so I really wrote them at the horn they're not written and said a piano or sit at a piece of manuscript paper thank I thank you so much yeah. for that well
0: <laughs> it's idiomatic in other that's words that's the idea yeah.
1: yeah so the idea is to okay let's take these Ideas these harmonic and, and uh, idiomatic ideas on the instrument and then create exercises out of them So so in many respects from the they're written at the horn as improvisations and then then Edited to where they work as exercises, but so that was reverse engineering mm-hmm. What what happens on the trumpet and then how do I make that into something? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I want to work on as a trumpet player and then? You know formulating those things and, and codifying then you start looking at all the compositional ways of dealing with it and it gets it's quite fascinating
0: well and you know you think is it contrived or does it actually serve a purpose is yeah. it just notes on a page just to fill a page or does it actually serve a purpose i yeah. mean if i'm going to practice my trumpet i want to make sure i'm spending on time on something that's going to sure. be beneficial yeah you know and it seems like a great amount of thought has gone into yes they're fun yes they're different but they do serve a purpose well, You know, and I think, you know, the bottom feeder, uh, you know, I've got low register issues probably like a lot of trumpet mm-hmm. players, you know. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, flexibilities like that, uh, well, it serves a purpose. It's not just yeah. titled bottom feeder and you play in the low register. I mean, it, d- it helps develop yeah. there, what it's supposed to develop.
1: There are, I get a lot of response from, you know, people that either send me an email or a Facebook message or whatever uh giving me feedback on the on the you know that they uh, they like the exercises or whatever for whatever reason or check in with me personally and my favorite ones I've gotten well-known trumpet players that have called me and said you suck I hate you <laughs> you know I'm I you're, you're killing right? yeah. yeah you're yeah. killing me I can't play this stuff <laughs> you know and and yeah. um and uh which is as as I said and I say this uh I write. I write. I didn't write these to make me sound good. I, I wrote these to make you sound bad. <laughs> All right. And uh, so, so there's. It's there, yeah. It's tongue in cheek. The idea is, is that you, you can't hide from. These are going to expose areas of weakness, but they're going but but they're logical enough and they're musical enough that they that during the repetitions if you're doing the process correctly which is your repetitions are refining the line mm-hmm. that you will get better and I've had very very well-known cats that have said I play these things and by the time I'm done um uh, you know I'm totally dialed in and they help me center and they help me do a lot of different things. Well
0: there was just a video either today or yesterday uh, I noticed it in the mm-hmm. last couple of days uh, somebody taking one of your Exercises into the upper register and expanding mm-hmm. beyond. I think maybe what you had written.
1: Yeah, that was me. No, so, no
0: that was you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just well, put it up. Was it, was it? the was one that went up video? to the high one? Yeah, but whatever, I mean, you yeah, can't yeah. see your yeah, whole face. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's, that's okay. well, that's, that's why I didn't recognize. <laughs> well, not, and I guess I wasn't paying that close of attention. Well, you know, if and I was gonna say he sounded great. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, all right, yeah.
1: No, I did have a few people ask me. He's like, "Did you put that uh, video up?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but I don't sit there and go." I don't do a lot of that but I want to do some demonstrations on the concepts so that it's not, you know, you know, I, I can't play them. <laughs> but the um, the idea behind it, you know, and then Chris uh, Karachev in the symphony put one mm-hmm. up last week and of him playing one and and so it's nice to see that. It's nice to. Those are the best kind of testimonials for the for the material. And and the main thing is is that you know they, are they interesting and are they beneficial and, and if you find them beneficial, great.
0: You know. Well, and then the humor is just icing on the cake.
1: Well, yeah, I like to think that nobody. Um, one of the things I did, I gave uh, Doc Severinsen a, a review <laughs> yeah. copy. I, you know, I gave him a review copy uh, of the first book. And he called me, and and we were talking about it. And and he thought my my humor, um, he wasn't uh, he wasn't as enamored at, with the humor as I was. And uh, and so, one of the points he said, you know, he 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 said, uh, it was a long conversation, but he said, you know, the, you're using this dry humor. And he said, you know, people don't know you, they don't know where you're coming from, and. Uh, I said to him, well I said I said doc I said the, the if they see the humor, they know me <laughs> they whether they know me or not, they know right. me because that's that's where I'm coming from. and I said, the other thing is is that nobody's ever written any any book, any method book or uh, you know technique book with any sense of humor. It's never been done, so even if the material in the book isn't any Worth practicing. It, it'll at least be the first book that was right. attempting to be funny, even if it's not funny. So, so the knit the niche with that is is that it's got some uh, you know some humor in it. You know, and I like to have fun with it. And it's bad dad humor, or it's
0: maybe that's why I like yeah. it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I think it'd almost be more of a challenge to come up with a, a clever title or. Instruction rather than the exercise itself.
1: It just depends. It depends. Yeah. It, and and, it, and
0: by the way, what what comes first, the 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 notes or the title?
1: Oh no, the titles. I've got a running title list that I've had for it's about seven years old. Yeah. That I keep in a, in a note program, mm-hmm. and I think of them and I just write them down. They just they just occur to me. And the little the little uh, some of them are uh, sort of uh, sarcastic Zen. Uh, Lipsler Pagoda Wisdom Nuggets—I call them—but the the so well, I just wrote one, uh, just for fun, uh, this uh, yesterday, and it's called Thai Food uh, Fever. Thai Food Fever. I don't know. It just that's it, hilarious. It, 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 rang, it rang funny off my ear, and right. then I, I you know I just wrote that one, and then um, some of them are bad joke punchlines or references to you know. Changed uh, joke punchlines from old jokes, and some of them are, are references to works of art, but, but mangled and movie titles and things like that. But mm-hmm. but the uh, uh, one I wrote yesterday also was just you know uh, you know these these uh, flexibility flexibilities add add life to any practice regimen, and that's a quote my quote. Mm-hmm. And then I have a second quote under uh, they add yeah they add life to any practice regimen, and then below. Uh, another quote: "Life is suffering." The Buddha. <laughs> all right. So, depending on how you look at it. Sure. But it's it's fun. It's fun. And then I got a lot of you know, like a, my friends and um, you know that a lot of you know, you know all the guys that I work with up in India mm-hmm. and they, they, you know, a um, lot of a lot of folks when I was writing them on Facebook said you know when you write this book when they publish it leave all the stuff in you know oh, all yeah. the
0: sarcastic. Did stuff. Did you ever think it would take off the way it has?
1: I didn't really think about it. I just, but I did when I got that that one day when I wrote the one the one um, uh, the one post that got all the likes and all the I, I thought I, I knew I had content that was novel. I knew what I was writing in terms of the actual content of the exercises and of the approach was not only novel but in, of interest and helpful. So I did have a feeling when I was doing it that I was, uh, you know, I had a hand in creating something. That had a had a real shot at becoming part of what people did mm-hmm. as part of what they practiced, and that was something I could when I, if you take the first book and you play the very first exercise, mm-hmm. if you you play trumpet, you immediately recognize this is different. This is, and then it, the logic of it is immediately apparent to mm-hmm. anybody that plays. So, um, and it was apparent to me when that. Uh, you know, I thought about that stuff so much. I spent so much time working on it. Um, and actually, the first exercise in the first book is called the Cincinnati Facial, right? Mm-hmm. And I had written the book. I already had the thing under contract, and I was trying to get it, but it wasn't done yet. And I thought I need a an exercise to start the book with. I need something simple mm-hmm. that I can, you know, and all the, some of them get pretty baroque. And so I, I literally just picked up my horn and I played that, yep. immediately came out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think about that as being something that's, uh, I think they're doing some work uh, on the building.
0: It's, yeah. I thought you know, maybe on the, the saxophones were tuning somewhere.
1: No, not in not, here <laughs> uh, in the yeah. administrative area. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, they may be doing uh, okay. a little bit of repair uh, work on the, on the roof. But in any case... So, you know, I didn't think I was necessarily going to have some giant bestseller or that I was going to become Lipsler famous, but, but I did, I did realize that there was some value I did that kind of, uh, in, in, in that
0: approach. So, you know, I think back to Gecker, uh, coming out with, I think there's one called, uh, Endurance Drills for Performance Skills Mm -hmm. and another, uh, uh, about the same time, but just, a nice change of pace in how to approach scales and arpeggios, mm-hmm. yeah different enough that it gets us away from you know it still serves a great purpose. you still mm-hmm. get done what you need to get done, but in a new and refreshing way, and I think that's that 's the way I looked at that book the first time I got it. It was like, yeah. oh man, you know doing my flexibility today is actually fun right, you know
1: and and you don 't have to necessarily do a whole mess of it, a little of it goes a long way i think I think that 's one of the things about practicing that. Um, you know, when you're, these are written, you know, the way I approach things, what I'm writing and what I'm working on is for people that can already play. Um, So if you can play, you have the basic skill set to just play music on a trumpet or on a brass instrument. Then uh, what we're looking at is how much, what's the minimal amount of something that you need to do to get the maximum benefit and, Mm -hmm. and start there. So I don't need to do I don't need to do 40 minutes of long tones, I don't need to do a half an hour of flexibility, I don't need to do, you know, mm-hmm. now I may do some scale types of things or harmonic things for longer periods because as an improviser I'm going to be using those but uh, I'm, I'm not going to do, uh, you know, an hour of lip slurs even my own, you know, sometimes I I spend that time between the writing of them and, the you know, the crafting of them but I, I don't normally spend a huge amount of time. I, this a little goes a long way. If you're, if it's, mm-hmm. if it's, uh, if it is an efficient way of practicing, Chris. But speaking of Chris Gecker, you know, he had a copy of my book, and he wrote me, and he said, um, he's the only one that picked it up. Um, and I mentioned this earlier. He said, playing through these reminds me of when I used to teach at I can't remember what college it was. He said one of the other te- the jazz teacher there was Woody Shaw, and I used mm. to listen to him practice. Ah. And he's, I've got this on my website somewhere. I think that? one of these reviews that, uh, you know, from, or just letters that, you know, Chris Gecker had sent, you know. And, and um, I think um, he said, I used, to, you know, he said, I was just instantly reminded of Woody shot. I said, You're the first person that caught that. How about you know? that? You know, and it's because he used to teach with Woody. And brought that you full know. circle, right? Yeah, there. Back, in the, back in the 80s or whatever. Right. like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I've got an adult student who uh, has gotten both books and he's worked through it but he's like you know i'm working my way through and i'm like man i don't work my way through you know it's like i'll jump in at the back of the book or i'll jump in the middle i mean was was it meant to be a progressive thing necessarily or can you just i mean no jump in anywhere right
1: that's the idea the 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 term progressive lip flexibilities I, i i'm in a group uh Called Trombomundi. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's a Much well it's, yeah. no name hacks, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, well, it's a it's a chamber group, and everybody is a is a trumpet teacher yeah, at a college. Yeah, yeah. And I I we have a about a 10-year-old, ten year old ten or yeah ten or eleven year old uh, text thread, mm-hmm. and uh, I I said I need a name for the book, guys. Uh, oh no. And and yeah, the one that I was able to I I, I can tell you <laughs> without changing the podcast uh, rating to explicit. <laughs> uh was uh that came back from bill stoneman uh who teaches at messiah uh college in, in pennsylvania and he said yeah progressive lip flexibilities for bre good done and uh so uh,
0: and did joey tartle
1: um he had a lot of editorial yeah. with, uh, Tartel, he's my editor yes
0: not tartell not to be confused with joey tartell but joey tartle
1: he's my editor yes yes yeah. i know exactly who you're talking about and um <laughs> he's in that group and he was he was uh he was instrumental in the editing process. So that's why he's credited as the editor, yeah. you know, in the, in the, uh, on the, on well, the cover.
0: He, he was not real thrilled to, to have an L dropped from his I
1: name. don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to find good editorial. Help. Yeah, right, right. And, well, you must um, not have paid
0: him enough for that one.
1: Oh, well, I mean, when I sent out the draft of the book, of the second book to the guys in the band, um, Joey sent me ten pages of edits. Wow. And, uh, Joey is, uh, he, he's a fantastic editor. He can't, he can't pass over a mistake, um, it, without having a physical reaction to it. So, so it's, he doesn't really miss anything in that regards. And it, it comes in handy, um, when you're writing a book and you, when you're writing your own book, you can't see it. You can't see the mistakes.
0: So, you know, it's really funny, uh, uh, Hooten. And uh, Jennifer Morata, you know, they redid the Mm Arbans however many years ago. It seems like a long time now, but there are errata Mm -hmm. in there. Um, But, you know, I look at that and I think, yeah, but how many other people set out to reset that? So, you know what, I'm not going to complain at that. If there's a mistake, I line through the fingering and I put the right fingering in there. Or if I remember what the real note was from the previous edition... You know, I'll. I remember that. I'll put that in there. So it's like if somebody finds a mistake in your book, so what? How about let's? You know what? I'll. Say, it's like this podcast. I've had people say, uh, you know, want to criticize it for something. I'm saying okay, give me your, the name of your podcast. Let me go yeah. listen to yours. Mm-hmm. So you know what? Until you do it, and realize how much goes into it. <laughs>
1: yep. Well, I've got a. So pack. what? Yeah, I've got the, a, yeah. the
0: mistake. So what?
1: I've got, I send a packing slip with my book when I ship it out and it says at the bottom it says, you know, as always, the staff and management of Lipsler World Headquarters um, would like you to know that if you have comments, suggestions uh, or complaints about anything, we want you to or we, we uh, encourage you to keep them in mind as you compose your own line of right. sarcastic Lipslers. Right. So the um, yeah, the it, it's very easy years ago, Dave, David Baldwin did a, a, a recording of the oh, Charlier book. It's fantastic. But every now and again you would hear somebody that would say, well, I don't really agree with the way he phrased this or the tongue this or that. And I said, well, how did you, how are you, I mean, that, the fact that anybody would undertake such a. To put themselves yeah. out there
0: mm-hmm, yeah. because you know. I mean, and, and not even just taking up uh, the Charlier or Arben's characteristic, characteristic studies, but even just to put out a recording.
1: No. and uh, and he didn't need to do that he did that because he thought it would be probably interesting and a challenge and it would be helpful for his students and uh, but then you would see uh, trumpet professors or trumpet players getting really angry about you know certain certain artistic choices or musical choices and i'm like nah that's really well,
0: that's Judith Saxton did that uh, cd of like the you know the group one solos i mm-hmm. mean the barat uh, you know what right, i'm talking yeah, about yeah which I thought was fantastic you know it's like there are not that many recordings out there of these being done really well and she played beautifully on those now I don't know that anybody's criticized that, right? Yeah. but I'm thinking you know great there's yet another resource for me and Mm -hmm. other people to go to and it's like your lip slur book which sorry your flexibility uh, manual
1: (laughs) Well you can take out all the slurs and tongue all in their interval studies
0: One of the most uh, profound statements I ever heard was Vince uh, DiMartino, mm-hmm. and he said, "You know, you can slur without tonguing, but you can't tongue without slurring." And that literally blew my mind. It took me a while to get my head around that, and then mm-hmm. I, and now I preach it to my students, and it's so yeah. true.
1: Yeah. Well, that book, the book is dedicated to Vince. That uh, he's huh. he's it, that's, you know, that's all you need to know about that. Yeah. Vince is uh, yeah. probably the most profound influence I've ever had on my trumpet playing. So, um, you know, I took a lesson with him in 1987, and I remember walking out of his studio going, what was that? Um, I didn't know what it was. I knew it was, well, it was profound. And then when I got back into the Air Force, when I got into the Air Force in 95, I started studying with him regularly. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I would credit that, uh, the way that I think about playing the instrument uh, to his almost... I wouldn't say entirely to his influence, but he's there's nobody that's influenced my playing yeah. more.
0: Well, and it's funny. His name has come up in so many interviews. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he is. And I said this uh, in the previous interview with Matt Anklin. Matt Anklin was, uh, I don't think there's a better encourager out there for other trumpet players, other musicians. I sure. mean, Vinny is just, he's out to have a great time and, and to make sure everybody else is you know, you know, doing well and having a great time, too. just... Uh, well, yeah,
1: so I, one, one thing I like about Vince is that um, when I, I would take a lesson with him if I were working on something, it, it, however he approached it, was always very it was, he would humanize it. Mm-hmm. So even though his technique was so far beyond anything I could even really comprehend at that point, what was really inspiring about it was that it, it seemed possible. He made it seem possible. And uh, for that, uh, I really, you know, uh, you know, that was inspirational and, um, uh, and that there was a way to do it. And, he, and, and Vince is, and he wouldn't uh, he would necessarily cop to this, but he's one of the great thinkers about Trump. Mm. And mm. He's, a, he's a tinkerer and he's, his, his level of curiosity about how things work and not about the nuts and bolts of, you know, the internal muscles. I mean, of course, he's very well versed Mm -hmm. on the the anatomy of, you know, the physiology of what's happening. But just what would happen if I tried this? Uh, How can I do this and make it easier? And and it comes down to uh, the ease of production, making playing music easier. That's what he's about. And that's how I go about teaching him and playing every day, trying to make music Mm -hmm. easier. Not trumpet, Uh, not my face feel better, not any of this, but just what does it take to get this musical line out with the least amount of damage to myself.
0: So I would like to say thank you for sure. sharing everything. Absol- There's some fantastic oh. uh, conversa- uh, conversation and information that you've put out there, and uh, I really appreciate your time. No, I and, appreciate uh, it. Thanks for yeah. coming
1: all this way and oh, yeah. spending a little time with us, Cincinnati Cats. Yeah, it's pretty and, cool. And uh, pretty cool. hope you enjoy uh, your time here.
0: Yeah, thanks very much. All right. Uh, all right, we'll see you next time. All right, thanks. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio HFL. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.